What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Eric B. Show. Hoping to teach you all a little something on this installment. This uh, episode was actually a recording of a Q&A that we did as a part of the very first Evenings with Eric, which is a part of the 8-9 Academy. Something that we're doing out of Train 8-9 in Coconut Grove. And uh, we're looking to educate the community. So we get into detail on quite a few things on here. It's a very casual campfire-like Q&A. Share it with your friends, rate it, and enjoy. Hope you learned something. Make the world a better pace. Peace. Much love to you. Rock and roll. Thank you, man. All right, hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm happy to have you all here. I'm Eric. Welcome to Evenings with Eric. I'm happy to see some familiar faces and some new faces. Um, I apologize that I'm a few minutes behind. There's two reasons for it. One, you know when you put on a watch and it doesn't work? Yeah, that happened to me. So my watch isn't working. But I have my phone, but I'm not constantly looking at my phone, um, although my girlfriend would tell you otherwise. Um, two. I was judging uh, one of my teammates. So if you're not familiar with CrossFit, in CrossFit there's something called the CrossFit Open. And in the Open, everyone, anyone is welcome to join the Open and do the workouts. Um, and we have a five week long competition going on in here in the gym. And we have it split up into different teams. And obviously we want our teams to win, right? Who likes to lose? Nobody, right? No one likes to lose. Um, so I was judging a teammate of mine that she was doing it, and she actually got her first muscle up. A muscle up is when you basically pull yourself up to the bar and you bring yourself. So she's been doing CrossFit for eight years, and she finally got her first one, so that was awesome. Um, now, Evenings with Eric, we thought it was a, a catchy name, right? The alliteration, the E, the E. We thought it could be something very cool, casual. Like I said, the idea is kind of like a, a campfire, sitting around the campfire just talking, right? So I want you all to feel very comfortable. Um, yeah, like, are you afraid of the dark? Uh, I want you to feel very comfortable to ask questions, right? It could be something very personal to yourself, like if someone has PCOS or diabetes, and if you're comfortable with saying it, by all means, please ask whatever you want to ask. Um, don't take anything as legit medical advice, even though I do have a lot of expertise in that. I always recommend that you see a doctor, get blood work done and all of that. I just don't like to make blind recommendations, but I'll be happy to, to give some recommendations today. Just keep in mind, you should take it all with a grain of salt. And I'll try to be as specific as I possibly can with any answers. The idea is Q&A, question, answer. Um, you could also ask very general questions, like if I think Dr. Mercola gives good information, and I'll gladly tell you no. Um, 89 Academy. If you've never been here before, this is Train 89. That's the name of the gym. Uh, this is one of my home gyms. We have a nutrition department here where we can measure things like body composition. Um, I have access to do blood work as well. So, looking at either different hormones and whatnot. Uh, it's not covered by insurance. If you're going to ask, it's not. Uh, they can be pretty expensive. I'm very straightforward with my prices. Uh, 
the 8-9 Academy is something that we've started over here to educate the community. Uh, members of the gym, if you are a member, you get discounts, obviously. If you're not a member, then you pay the full price. But this event today is free 99, so I'm glad you all were able to make it to the free event. Um, but again, our goal with this is to be able to educate individuals. We'll be doing exercise seminars and workshops. We'll be doing more nutrition workshops, really trying to get individuals to their higher level of fitness. And even everyone is using, you know, living my best life right now. That's a very trendy saying. But the idea is to help individuals get to their best self, right? Optimize whatever they're doing, whether it's fitness, health, disease, prevention. That's what we want to do with 8-9. So always be on the lookout for those kinds of uh, events coming up. Also, if you are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, etc., you can find me at my full name, just Eric Bustillo. It probably looks nicer than that. I write like a kindergartner, sometimes third grade, sometimes sixth grade. I'm working on it. Um, so, just to kind of kick it off, nutrition. Nutrition is my, my main thing, right? I love to educate individuals on nutrition, on fitness, on exercise and all of that, but nutrition is kind of like my main jam. I'm a registered dietitian. I'm certified in sports nutrition and in personal training as well. I have quite a few years of experience under my belt. Um, I've put people on very cookie cutter plans and saw that that doesn't really work too well. And I've helped people completely change their outlook on nutrition and fitness and all of that. Uh, a lot of it is mindset, but nutrition starts from the inside out, right? At a cellular level, it's going to affect us either negatively or positively. Um, something else that I did want to say before we start asking questions, hopefully you all have a million questions that can take up the entire hour. Um, there is a little bit of a surprise. I'll go ahead and ruin the surprise. We're gonna have like little snacks coming out. Um, it might be something like water and protein bars or maybe it's cheese and wine. You never know, right? I will say I'm a very flexible dietitian. Um, I don't believe in like the Nazi regimen of nutrition. Um, I'm sorry? Pizza today, no, but you know I love my pizza and Oreos. They got to sponsor me. Um, but when it comes to nutrition, I really want everybody to understand that there's no good and bad food, right? The poison's in the dosage, and that's something that's very important to understand. Somebody tells you you shouldn't eat red meat, not really, right? The poison's in the dosage. Same thing with broccoli. Same thing with back to my beloved Oreos. You could eat two Oreos and be perfectly fine. If you eat the entire pack consistently on a regular basis, that's going to be an issue, right? Who's ever taken Advil before? Right? I think pretty much all of us. How many did you take? Two, three, maybe four, right? Or one really strong one of 800 milligrams. You didn't take the whole bottle. If you take the whole bottle, you know better, right? You might die or something's going to happen to your stomach, right? The poison's in the dosage. Right, so I hope I made myself clear with that. It's very similar to nutrition, although we should remove the idea that nutrition and food is medicine, because it really isn't. Food is food. Food is our fuel. It's not going to heal us from, I don't know, a seizure, if someone's having a seizure, right? Like we have to kind of separate that food, let food be thy medicine, 
but not lose the idea that food does have the ability to heal over time. Right? Nutrition is not an emergency until it becomes one. I hope I'm, I'm making sense with all of this, right? I'm not very black or white answer with, I'm not going to try to sell you some nonsense, but it's important to understand that nutrition is not just black or white. Don't eat carbs, eat all the carbs, go vegan, don't be vegan, be keto, don't be keto. There's so many things out there. A part of what I want to do and what we want to do with the 8-9 Academy is to kind of like debunk all the nonsense. Bless you. So with that being said, the floor is yours. I'm happy to answer any questions you might have. No, I'm not single before you ask. Uh, maybe. <laughs> no, absolutely not. You should take a couple of Advils if you want. I'm sorry? Most definitely. If you're hypoglycemic, yes. Then enjoy the Oreo or some Coke or some orange juice. But no, if you have a, just a regular headache, we, we should also consider, well, where did the headache come from? Right? I know the question was a bit of a joke, but on a serious note, if you do get a headache, Am I getting a headache from not eating? That happens to me. Right? Has anyone ever tried intermittent fasting? Yeah? So I did, but like by mistake. I just woke up, I was in a rush, and I didn't eat till midday. I got a headache, I couldn't function. Sometimes I get hangry, and I'm not a pleasure to be around. Um, so that's from not eating. For some individuals, they don't drink enough water. Who can honestly say they drink enough water here on a day-to-day -day basis? Raise your hand. I'm not raising my hand, because I know I don't. Yeah, you drink a bunch. I bet you drink probably at least a gallon every day. Yeah. You try it, right? But correct, so you have to force yourself to drink water. And for some of us, it doesn't come natural. For others, it might. Some people are just thirsty, but if we don't drink enough water, we can get a headache. Some people can have blood pressure issues, right? Their kidneys can start acting up because they're not drinking enough water. So these are all things that we have to consider. Why am I getting a headache? Did I eat too much of a certain food, right? I know some people that if they eat gluten, they get migraines. And that's the association that they made because they went on an elimination diet, they took food out, they incorporated, when they incorporated, it was the gluten. So they know better than to eat a bunch of gluten because they're gonna get a headache if they do, right? So anyway, that was my quick rant. Questions? Don't be shy, please. Yes, please. It's fine. Uh, when I, because I do train every day, and I, uh, I sweat a lot. Okay. A lot, like, just like I forgot. And uh, I'm, I'm training with, uh, I have a personal trainer, and she keeps telling me that, because sometimes I have a pain in my muscles. Okay. It's like cramps, it's not sore, but cramps, and she keeps telling me that I need vitamins. Because I'm sweating a lot, and mm -hmm. I'm not eating this uh, uh, nutritional food. Okay. Uh, it depends. And yeah, I'll say you're going to hear it depends a lot. Well, you'll hear it depends a lot depending on how many questions you have. So, it depends. Um, what I would ask you is what exactly is the pain? Is it actual cramps? Like, are your muscles just tightening up and you can't move? Or is it just like, is it some kind of lingering soreness? Like very tight? 
So that could be a few things. When it comes to cramps, we don't know the number one specific reason why people get it, but it appears to be a few different factors. Lack of flexibility and not stretching enough. Um, lack of hydration, so not enough fluids. Um, and lack of electrolytes as well. Now, some electrolytes can be considered vitamins. Technically, they're minerals like magnesium and calcium. Uh, those are electrolytes. So maybe you're not getting enough of those. Now, to say that you're getting this muscle pain because of vitamins, uh, not to make fun of the trainer, but maybe she, I don't know where she came up with that conclusion without actually maybe looking at some kind of blood work or knowing exactly what is going on. You just kind of eat whatever you want. Gotcha. Got it. And it's a, it, it's a constant aggravation in the muscles or only when you're working out? When I'm working out. During? Yes. How about after? Got it. And does she take you through a very thorough warm-up? Not really. So I would recommend from an exercise science standpoint, maybe before she gets there, do your own warm-up. Do you know what the workouts are going to be beforehand or no? Yeah, we talk. Yeah? So you don't know the specific workout? So. If you know the body part, or even if you don't know the body part, I would just say take 10 to 15 minutes before starting to work up a sweat. Yes, something simple. Start walking, then go into a jog. Um, maybe start doing, I don't know, something like bear crawls if you want to, some push-ups if it's going to be upper body, something to get the, the blood flowing. From a nutritional standpoint, there is possibility of not enough hydration, even though you say that you make it a point to drink a lot. So if you're trying, then the conscious effort, it might be enough. Uh, it could very well be lack of electrolytes. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you to drink a bunch of Gatorade, but they do sell like electrolyte packets if you wanted to try that. During your workout, you can always give that a shot. Uh, but it might be, it might be something else. It might be just maybe lack of a good warm-up that you start feeling it. Uh, or maybe, remember your nutrition kind of helps you recover from the inside out. There's probably suboptimal nutrition. So you might not be eating as well as you should be. Uh, and then that's going to be, that's going to take negative impact because now if you're getting suboptimal nutrition, for example, let's just, let's stick to protein. Protein is like the, the healing nutrient, right? If you're getting suboptimal protein, then that right there is going to affect how well you're recovering from your workouts. Uh, if you're not getting enough of the electrolytes, that can affect your immediate performance during the workout. So it's kind of multifactorial. What I would recommend is, I don't know if you're familiar with MyFitnessPal. Uh, so it's a, a, an app on your phone. And I would recommend this to anyone. If you're interested in looking at how much you're consuming and what you're consuming, download MyFitnessPal and start holding yourself accountable to see exactly what and how much you're eating. For weight loss, it's great because 
you think that you don't eat that much until you start tracking the nuts that you eat, the crackers from your desk, and next thing you know, you're getting 1,500 calories just from snacking, not to mention your main meals. If you should only be eating 1,800 calories, but you're consuming 2,600, no wonder you can't lose weight. Don't blame age, don't blame hormones, don't blame whatever. We're just, we're eating too much. So on your end, keeping some kind of a food log. My fitness pal is nice because it, uh, I'm not sponsored by my fitness pal, by the way. Um, it helps you see exactly how much you're consuming, assuming that you're familiar with portions. So if you know what three ounces looks like, and there's a bunch of resources online as well. Correct. And you can see, you can say, wow, you know, I, I really don't get enough sodium. Uh, you can look and see like, wow, I, maybe I'm eating too much fat. I don't get enough carbohydrate and my workouts are pretty intense and the carbohydrate would actually benefit me for my workout. There's, it's very multifactorial. Um, and I just wouldn't recommend any vitamins like right off the bat. I would just ask you to make a food log and see how, correct, yeah, start with that. And we'll, but don't forget your warm up, please. Thank you. Yeah. If I'm, if I'm gonna put someone in a caloric deficit to help them with fat loss? Okay, so what would I prefer? Them to track their overall macros or just eat a specific number of calories? In an ideal scenario, tracking their macronutrients. Because even though a caloric deficit is number one for fat loss, I want to see what they're consuming. Because as much as a caloric deficit is important, I also want to make sure that they're getting enough protein. Protein is, I'm very much a protein pusher, you know? Um, with fats and carbs, for, for fat loss in particular, it doesn't really matter. It's more so their preference, which might sound kind of crazy because so-and-so says you gotta eat carbs and other so-and-so says you gotta be on a ketogenic diet. So now you're like, carbs, fat, like what am I supposed to do? The number one factor is caloric deficit. Two is making sure that they're getting adequate protein. Three is what do they prefer? And then adjusting the numbers from there, carbs or fat. Um, obviously knowing other things like medical history is also important. That's the, the dietitian in me talking, where I'm like I wanna know what their cholesterol numbers are like. Because then if they wanna be on a ketogenic diet but they have a history of heart disease and all these other things, and their cholesterol is garbage, I might not recommend that they go on a ketogenic diet because a very common side effect to a ketogenic diet is a spike in your LDL or your bad cholesterol. So we don't want to promote that, right? Um, but macronutrients are very important, more specifically calories and protein, and then after that really comes down to preference. Yeah. That they, they don't want to track. Or like they're hesitant or whatever. They haven't come to that point where they want to take it more seriously. Yeah. And then what do you suggest would be a way to either get them there or help them along the way? If they're not ready for that, I would recommend something simpler, taking pictures of food, and then either have them send it to you or just show it to you. Like show them, hey, like this is what I'm eating. And then from there, you kind of make a guesstimate, like, well, this is what, if you want to get really in depth with it and be like, okay, you basically calculate it for them. Yeah. Ideally, you wouldn't do that 
because that's a lot of work for someone that isn't willing to take more than five minutes out of their day to track. Because tracking sounds tedious, but it really isn't that bad. Um, now, everyone has their own thing. I had someone, I had someone. I've never been pregnant. Uh, <laughs> uh, <No. laughs> I, uh, I had a, a patient who was very resistant to tracking her calories. She went from 246 pounds, and she must have been like five feet tall, or must be five feet tall. Um, she went down to the 180s over like a year's time, more or less. I forget the exact amount of time. Um, she was doing great. She was 50-something years old at the time. She's still 50-something years old. Um, and she was also on a very cookie-cutter program, right? So side note, I used to work somewhere where we would promote very, like, low-calorie. It was high-protein, which I was an advocate for, and I helped create the program, so this is not me bashing them at all. I was very much a part of it, um, but it was very cookie-cutter. It was kind of like follow this 1,200, 1,400-calorie 1400 diet, um, take these supplements that they had, like, psyllium husk, so they could help you feel full. Uh, I'm sorry if I spit everywhere. You guys are going to need windshield wipers over here. <laughs> just back up. Um, or embrace the Eric spit, just, you know. Um, and so it was very, very cookie cutter. And it worked wonders for a bunch of people, like coming off of medication. People losing over 100 pounds. Like, I'm telling you, it was great. But it, it almost sparked, like, a, a false hope that, like, this is the new Atkins diet. This is the new South Beach diet. And what I'm saying is that cookie cutter doesn't just, it doesn't work for the long run, right? She was on it and I'm telling you, she was feeling great. She was exercising and then she stopped. And then she went into the 190s. And I was like, so-and-so, what's happening here? You know, like, I don't wanna like point the finger, but who else am I gonna point the finger at? Um, and then she got up into the 200s and I was like, hey, something's happening, like start tracking. You know, just, we gotta see what's going on and, and something's happening here. Then she was up in the two teens and she finally came around to tracking because based on what she was telling me, she was not eating a lot. Um, and there was no reason for her to gain, regain 30 pounds, 20, 30 pounds. Um, even with the glass of wine that she would have at night. Like people think I'm having a glass of wine, it's gonna totally ruin everything. So she finally tracked and she was like, I'm just watching out for kids. She was like, what a mind fuck, right? Like, excuse my language. She was like, I can't believe it. Like I, I gave her, I said, look, try to stick to these numbers. And I don't remember what it was, 1,400, 60, whatever. Make up a number and it was that. She was going over it by at least 300 calories every day, no matter what which means some days it was 800 or 1,000 calories, other days 3, 350, 450, whatever. And yeah, so she didn't realize it. Now, that wasn't enough because, and I, I didn't see her again after that, but maybe she gained all the way back. Like she stopped coming in, we stopped following up. It was a priority, but like back there. The main priority was everything else that was happening in her life. Uh, family issues, work stuff. Um, coming back to your question, the individual has to want it, right? We could only want it so bad for them. 
you could only lead a horse to water. You can't make them drink. Tracking. I do, without a doubt. If they don't want to get on the app, just write it down. Keep a food log. Like it might be easier for them to just write down, but they're gonna have to learn at some point portion sizes and all of that. Actually, no, let me take that back. They're not going to have to because you can make adjustments to their nutrition. But how are we gonna know what to fix if we don't know what they're doing in the first place? Right? Like you can't change a tire if you don't know which one's flat without like just looking at it. Like, hey, change your front right tire, but it's my back right tire that's flat. We can't make a recommendation just out of nowhere. Um, we can take a guess. We can say, all right, whatever you're doing, if you're having one cup of rice, cut it down to half a cup, and then have yourself one cup of spinach. And try to do something that's less calories to help them make that switch. Until maybe one day they come around and say, all right, you know what, it's time for me to track. Uh, or they start getting results with what you're having them do. People are gonna be resistant. I don't only work with individuals and their macronutrients. It's easier for me to help people with when they do their macros because as much as I would love to meet all 7.7 .7 billion people in the world, it's gonna be impossible for me to sit there one by one, like, hey, let me see what you're eating, I don't wanna track. So with the 20, 30, 40, 50, I don't even know how many people I'm working with, but it makes my life easier to be able to see what they're doing. So if they're willing to do that for themselves and learn, then I'm super happy to help them. If they're not willing to do it, I have to find another way, right? But writing things down is, is a huge help. Taking pictures or even recording or send me a voice note, something, so I know exactly what, what, you're, what you're having and in what amount. Please. Please. Yeah, listen, all questions are accepted. Okay, uh, it's pretty much three questions in one. Got it. What's your opinion on meal prepping? Okay. How can I still enjoy the weekend while meal prepping? Got it. And it's a cheap meal. So meal prepping is, so your question is, number one, my opinion on meal prepping. Two, how to enjoy the weekends yes, uh, when meal prepping. And three, how do I feel about having like a cheap meal or like an indulgence meal? Meal prepping is a huge benefit. If someone is willing to do it, I don't even meal prep all the time. I'll do it one for like one week and then I don't know how many weeks will pass and I won't do it because I don't personally dedicate the time. Now, if I'm gonna go eat at Subway, I'm very familiar with what I should probably order at Subway, especially for my level of activity. Side note, self-awareness is huge. Know your level of activity, know what works well for you. You wanna learn about yourself. That's where tracking is important because I don't want someone to track for the rest of their life. I want them to track for a short period of time and I annoy the crap out of them to help them understand. Use this to learn portion sizes. Use this to understand, wow, this is how much I ate and this was how I felt afterwards. Truthfully, the end goal is always this uh, eating intuitively. Like listen to your body. Am I hungry? Am I not hungry? Am I just really thirsty? Dang, I didn't drink water today. I don't want people to rely on an app 24-7. But at first, it helps with accountability and, and learning. So meal prepping is a definite, like definite plus to incorporate as long as you're willing to make the time to do it. Knowing how much you should be consuming is also important. That comes back to understanding like the macronutrients of it all. Now keep in mind, again, I only recommend tracking macronutrients and all of that from an educational standpoint because I want people to learn how many calories are in something, 
how much protein is in something, how much fat, how much carbohydrate. <clears throat> um, but meal prepping is a definite plus. Without, what's, the, what's that saying? Uh, failing to plan is planning to fail. So that's the idea with meal prep. We didn't plan, right? So we, we failed to make a plan. So now it's kind of like we're planning to fail because now it's lunchtime and either they're bringing lunch to work and it's gonna be arroz con frijoles negro and God knows what, and I can't control myself when I have arroz con frijoles because I love them so much, right? Or um, I'm on the run, I have meetings, I'm not gonna eat anything, then when I do finally eat, I eat the entire house plus that cookie, you know? That's where it really helps out to, to have some kind of preparation. <clears throat> as far as meal prepping and being more flexible on the weekends, weekends can make or ruin somebody's lifestyle program <clears throat> like 100 percent they um, if let's say if you're averaging 1600 calories a day again i'm just making up a number so don't take it as like the bible um but on the weekend you're averaging easily 3300 you can say whatever you want about your trainer your dietitian your gym your hormones, your age, your genetics, all of that. But we should always look at ourselves. Because if I'm gonna be real, on the weekends, I'm eating way differently than I'm doing Monday through Thursday or Friday, depends on when your weekend starts. For some people, it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. For some people, it's Saturday, Sunday. For some people, they do enough damage in one day. So again, the self-awareness of what am I really doing? And every little thing adds up. The alcoholic beverages, that adds up. Like, there's so many different things that could, that could factor in. But it's possible, right? It's possible to still do it. This is kind of where the answer to your third question comes in, where a planned indulgence meal or cheat meal or free meal, however we want to call it, <clears throat> essentially what you're doing is you're breaking the routine of what you're used to having. Can it be helpful? Without a doubt. Is it necessary? No. That's where being a little more flexible with your nutrition is beneficial. Uh, meaning, if you want to have an Oreo, have an Oreo. But one Oreo, not one sleeve, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Like, being reasonable with it. There was a study that actually showed that having this planned indulgence meal helped individuals stay on track for the long run. So. Either it kind of gave them something to look forward to on the weekend, so they felt like, wow, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm empowering myself because now I'm, I'm restricting during the week. It's not anything that's crazy difficult. I'm just not eating as crazy as I used to, but I still get to enjoy my whatever Italian restaurant that I want to go to, or if I want to go to Prime 112, or if I want to make some vaca frita with whatever at home, then cool you're able to do it and you can kind of plan around it. So it's definitely beneficial as a part of someone's program, just making sure that we're keeping things within reason, right? Um, did I answer your question? Yeah. I did? Okay, cool. Are you sure? Yeah, sure. Okay, because I do a lot of dancing. <laughs> I 
You like the data. I like data too. So there's, there's an interesting point on that. Um, as far as the, the scientific studies, and that's, I love the fact that you said that, because there's, there's, uh, there's a lot of talk in the nutrition, fitness industry, from dietitians, from doctors, from trainers, from the lay individual that just likes to work out. Um, just a quick little primer on protein overall. There was a study put out in the 60s or 70s, maybe even the 80s. I don't remember which decade. But it was a high-protein study. So they gave the, the test subjects a higher-protein diet, higher than at least they were used to. And I don't remember the amounts right now, so I do apologize. Um, and it showed that there was kidney damage from the high consumption of protein. Now. Here's the kicker. They were in renal failure. That means their kidneys were already not working. So one of my mentors put it best. You have a black eye? Someone keeps punching the black eye. Is it ever going to get better? No, right? So these people were already in kidney failure. In healthy subjects, protein consumption, we don't know what the limit is. Like There is no definition of too much protein. Uh, a friend and mentor of mine, Dr. Jose Antonio, he's out of Nova, Southeastern University. He did a study where people were eating one gram per pound of body weight. So if you weigh 200 pounds, you were eating 200 grams of protein. There were even a couple of people that took it up to two grams per pound of body weight. So if you weigh 200 pounds, you're eating 400 grams of, grams of protein, which is a ridiculous amount. Would I ever want to eat that? Absolutely not. Never. Ever, ever because it's difficult to consume that much protein. Getting a lot of protein is tough, especially if you don't do protein shakes. Um, now, there's also a lot of talk on that our body only absorbs a certain amount of protein. So I love that question. What the science shows about how much our body absorbs is it absorbs all of it, no matter what. So if we consume 50 grams of protein post-workout, eventually, we're going to absorb all of it, all 50 grams. It takes time. It takes time, it takes time, because digestion, absorption, all of that takes time. If you understand digestion and absorption, you know that you've got to chew the food. It goes down the esophagus. It passes through the sphincter into your stomach. The acid breaks it all up, and your stomach does like its own chewing, if you will. Then from there, it goes into the small intestine, which the small intestine is ridiculously long. So it travels through there, it keeps on breaking apart. We start absorbing things in the small intestine. Then it goes into the large intestine, which is actually shorter than the small intestine. And in the large intestine, that's where we get ready to poop, basically. And digestion ends once it's in the toilet, right? 
with protein, our body is going to get those amino acids and use them all, no matter how much. There's a lot of talk that we don't absorb, absorb more than 20 grams. Um, I used to go to a gym down in, in Brickle, and there was a girl that worked at like the smoothie station, and she was talking to me about the nutrients and everything, and she was like, well, you know, your body doesn't absorb more than 20 grams. And I was like, actually, that's not true. It does absorb more than that. A study showed it and all of that. But you know, she was very pretty and had a nice body, so people are gonna believe whatever she says over my Tarzan looking self. Um, but yes, we do absorb all of it. Um, now it's just a matter of time. It's not gonna be right after the workout, um, but over time, over that 24 hour period, our body is gonna take those amino acids and use it. Now, we do have byproducts from protein uh, which are nitrogenous wastes. So if you ever go do blood work, you'll see your BUN, blood, urea, nitrogen. You'll see things like creatinine, you'll see GFR. These are all markers of kidney function. Some of them are liver function tests as well. Um, our kidneys have to process all these things that we consume. So when we do have protein, just keep in mind that your kidneys are gonna work a little bit more to get the nitrogenous waste and get rid of it. Does that mean that it's bad for you? No. What I recommend to people is make sure you are staying hydrated just to kind of help support the kidneys a little bit more. But they have, there have been studies that show that eating more protein actually helps improve kidney function or improves your GFR, which is your glomerular filtration rate, which is the rate at which your kidneys are filtering out these waste products. So the number actually increased to a safe amount. That means that they were filtering things out at a faster rate by increasing their protein consumption. So that's a very long-winded answer to say we do absorb all the protein that we consume. Oh, that's why I, after reading all that, I changed a little to a hydrolyzed yeah. because it's more pure and it's basically what I was reading about is like it's easier to, for the body to absorb. Yeah, so that's hydrolyzed is essentially and yeah, basically it's like already broken down. It's an, a, a pre-absorbed or pre-broken down form of protein. So it is good. Now, does that mean that your body doesn't break down the other ones? The human body is amazing. It's phenomenal what it can do. People survive cancer, right? Like, and cancer is a terrible disease. People are able to manage diabetes without taking medication. People can come and do the world's hardest workout and after three or four days feel like it was absolutely nothing. Like we put our body through so many things. When we consume foods, our body does an amazing job at breaking it all down and taking in what it's going to use, getting rid of whatever it's not going to use, which could bring up the debate of GMOs, organic versus non-organic. Should I have hydrolyzed protein? Would a whey protein isolate be okay? What if I take a whey protein concentrate, which is like a few other things? Our body does a good job at really breaking these things down. Now, from a quality standpoint, and you, if you like the way that it tastes, I'll say keep on having the hydrolysis. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's what mostly matters. The best diet is the one you can stick to, right? If someone tells you eat chicken and broccoli all the time. I don't like chicken. I don't like broccoli. Do it anyway. You're gonna look great. Yeah. Until you stop eating that way, and then what? Exactly. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Right, like 10 o'clock in the morning. Got it. I just eat 
Sure. I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Twins. Um, so I would recommend yes to the protein shake. That's actually that's like one of my secret weapons. I tell people I'm like swap whatever you're having as a snack for a protein shake, right? A protein shake. Let's say the brand that I like a lot is Dimatize. I'm also not sponsored by them. I just strongly believe in this brand. Uh, although they do send me product. And I might be starting a study soon on women who exercise regularly, so just be on the lookout. Um, Dimatize ISO 100. It's a very good protein. I'll, that is maybe 100 and, I don't know, 120 calories or something. And you're getting 25 grams of protein in one scoop. As opposed to, let's, say, let's just say something that is also healthy, right? A donut, easily 300 calories, right? It might be delicious, but <laughs> right. Um, but let's just say a banana with a tablespoon of peanut butter. And now this is just from a pure caloric standpoint, right? I also tell people we don't eat numbers. We eat food that affects the numbers, right? So to not get obsessed with the numbers is very important. But there's also like a fine line and understanding how to work around that. Um, a banana might be, let's just say, 100 calories, depending on the size of the banana, whatever, and how ripe, whatever. So let's say it's 100 calories, and you want to have a tablespoon of peanut butter, which is another 100-ish calories. Just with that alone, you're having, let's say, 200 calories. Where the shake, and that's going to be a little bit of protein in the peanut butter, maybe three-ish grams of protein. You're getting maybe eight grams of fat, and I don't know, whatever, seven grams of carb, or maybe a little bit less in the peanut butter, plus the 20-something grams of carb from the banana. The protein shake, and I'm talking about just ISO 100. There are some protein shakes that have more carb, more this or that. ISO 100 is pretty much just the protein. Um, again, I'm not sponsored, please remember that. Um, and you're just getting 100 and let's say 20 calories of pretty much only protein. Now, coming back to your question, of the macronutrient profile, if I want to make sure someone is getting adequate protein and kind of keep everything else in check, I would much rather them do a protein shake. Plus it's easier, it's less messy, it's portable nutrition. Right, you just shake it up, mix it with water, put ice in there if you want it to be cold, and you drink it. Um, Eric, yes? So yeah, yeah. There, and it's also portable nutrition, right? So with the Quest Bars, it also depends if you have how hungry you are, right? But they're very convenient to take with you. So you could always have half of a protein bar. Um, something else that you could have as a snack, just very simple snack ideas. Nuts are always a good idea, but they're very easy to overconsume, right? You can easily get well over 200 calories in one handful of mixed nuts. I'm a big fan of Greek yogurt. Um, if you like Greek yogurt, Oikos Triple Zero. 120 calories, 15 grams of protein, 6 grams of fiber, 6 grams of carbs. Very easy snack. If you don't like yogurt, don't do it. Don't ever force yourself to have something that you don't like. But yes, long-winded answer to protein shakes are good as snacks, even as meal replacements, right? It all comes back to your schedule, how, what your day looks like. If you're on a, in a rush and you've got to leave the house, quick shake, take it with you in the car. Is it the ideal scenario? No. 
I would love for you to have your three eggs. And hold on, the media says eggs are bad for you again. So watch out. I'd rather you have your two, three eggs and a piece of whole wheat toast or whatever than be in a rush and be stressed out. And because stress is a, another evenings with Eric conversation alone on the physiological effects that it can have. Um, but yes, I would definitely recommend a protein shake as a, as a convenient snack. Yeah. You can't separate? By themselves. Yeah. There you go. But, but it's better. It's better than like just having the white, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I, but now it also depends, right? It depends on your preference. Number one is your preference. Number two, excuse me, how's it going to impact your caloric consumption? The yolk and the white, they both have calories. So together, you're going to get 70 calories in an egg. Separate, that number is going to change. Just the egg white, maybe you're getting only 30 calories. And with just the yolk, maybe you're getting 40 calories, right? I'm just kind of like spitballing the numbers here. Um, I would prefer you have the whole egg, even if it's just one whole egg, right? And maybe if you're willing to, one whole egg and maybe a little bit of white. Like if you bought a separate, like the carton of egg whites or whatever, if you want to do that, or just have two whole eggs, you know? You had your hand up before too, right? Yeah, I have a couple questions. Sure. Um, so while we're talking about it, supplementation, what is, I, what do you think, what do you recommend? Like, what do you go as far as to recommend? Like, Supplements? Yeah, I tell my clients, like, I recommend protein shakes, uh -huh. but I'm, like, pretty natural. Like, I, I like to go the natural route. I'm not into, like, fat burners. I'm not into pre-workout. I'm not into, honestly, aminos. Like, uh -huh. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I usually say food first, but be okay with supplementing. For example, whole foods is excellent, not the store, like eating whole foods, like wholesome foods, uh, but have a protein shake too. It's good to, to mix that in. What supplements would I recommend? Yeah, yeah. Nothing. I tell them that the best fat burner is being in a caloric deficit. So, no. so nothing. However, some individuals function better with a pre-workout. So go ahead and take a pre-workout. Just make sure it's not going to give you crazy tachycardia, right, where your heart is racing, or just make sure you're not allergic. These are all things that they're important to keep in mind, but. If you function okay with the pre-workout, Dimatize also makes a very good pre-workout, as do other companies, right? Also say just drink a cup of coffee. That's also a very good pre-workout. As far as other supplements, it really depends on the individual. General supplements, I'll recommend things like fish oil as long as no allergy, vitamin D, as long as there's no other underlying medical condition. A multivitamin, yeah, generally speaking, I will. Um, because even if you have a very good balanced diet, to get the optimal amount of those macro, of those micronutrients, um, you probably still need to supplement because it's tough. Eating a very well-rounded diet, 
it's tough to get a good amount. If you were to not take vitamin D, it's difficult to get enough vitamin D unless you're going out in the sun with maximum skin exposure, no sunblock. So ideally, you'll be naked and sunburned, right? That's an exaggeration, but 30 minutes a few days a week is okay. But you might as well just take a vitamin D supplement. Um, for some instances, if someone has, if they really have bad cravings or they find that they get really hungry, besides asking them to make sure they're drinking adequate water and getting enough fiber and protein in their nutrition, I'll ask them to consider some kind of a fiber type supplement, like psyllium husk, for example. Something that's called uh, glucomannan can also help with uh, controlling cravings, but generally speaking, they don't really need to, to take any of those, of those things, to, like the fat burners and all of that. So, did you have another question? Or? Yeah. Okay. It's that one is tough because for some body recomposition is really hard, and that's exactly what that is. Body recomp is the loss of muscle fat and the gain of the last the loss of body fat and the gain of muscle mass. Um, it depends on the individual. If they're first beginning to work out, they can very well be hyper responders. So they will probably do well with working out and eating a little bit better. And they might notice that body recomp. They might lose fat and gain muscle. Um, then what happens if they do that uh -huh. well for like four or five months? Yeah. Then we're at month six. They might hit a plateau or something like that. Yeah. then they would have to, one, be patient. So chill the hell out, right? Because oftentimes they're in a rush. Two, make sure that they're getting adequate protein. And what are they doing for their workouts? Are they lifting enough to stimulate muscle mass? Those are like the basics that I would really focus on without getting into too much detail. Actually, we saw a body recomp with Christian where he, we did his body composition in November, like in late November. And then we did it again in, I think, February. And he had gotten himself together. He had to travel and do all these things. But we saw body fat come down. And we saw the muscle mass come up. So we saw a shift in that, which was great. It was a change in your nutrition. And he's in here working out, right? You're going to have to put in work. As beautiful as surgery sounds, it's not going to be sustainable. <laughs> well, I'm saying like as far as a quick fix. You know, hey, bariatric surgery, does it work? Most definitely. It's one of the best treatments for fat loss or for weight loss. But what happens after? If you don't change your this, you might not change this in the long run, right? And then you had a question. Okay. Got it. Yeah, you're just coming. You want to feel good during your workout. <clears throat> For sure. And it also depends what you ate, right? So if, if you eat a very fatty meal, 
very close to your workout time, like within the hour, that can, that can be very uncomfortable. But this is also an it depends answer. For some people, that works perfectly fine. They can have a hard boiled egg and God bless them and they can come and do an amazing workout. How? I don't know. I'll be burping and God knows what. Um, but one thing that I personally do for myself, even 30 minutes before coming to a workout, if it's early in the morning, I'll have some oatmeal and I'll come work out and be perfectly fine. Now my body's used to it. I respond well. Some people might feel better fasting. Um, generally speaking, I would recommend eating maybe like one to one and a half hours before coming into the gym and something light-ish. Maybe a fruit with like a, a little bit of protein or something along those lines. Like if you had some strawberries with, I don't know, some, some cheese or something or like a little yogurt. I'm sorry? You don't necessarily need them beforehand, but they're the ideal food to have before coming to work out because our body tends to digest them relatively quickly. Um, for some people, having a protein shake can work out, but I don't typically recommend that because it might be sushing around in your stomach. You might be burping during your workout. Um, just like a, some crackers can do the trick. It's almost like a, a trial and error. You want to play around and see what works best for you. Um, but some, some carb can, can just do the trick. Cool. Somebody else had a question. I don't know where she went. She had a question. Yes. <laughs> belly fat. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, right off the bat, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's going to be gluten. For some people, they can get bloated when they eat either gluten or dairy or broccoli. It really depends on the individual. Um, that comes back to how much is being consumed consistently. So it kind of comes back to the whole calories in, calories out talk. As boring and not sexy as that answer is, that's really what it comes down to and the consistency of, well, how much, like how many times am I, like how many times a week, days a week, am I really burning more than I consume, right? Even with that indulgence meal that you asked about earlier, it's still possible to lose belly fat. Some people will try to blame cortisol and stress and all these other factors. Unless you have Cushing's syndrome, that's not going to be an issue. Cushing's is where your uh, adrenal glands, which they're two glands that just kind of sit on top of your kidneys, they produce the cortisol that goes throughout your body. Cushing's syndrome or Cushing's disease is where your body overproduces cortisol. And that's a very real issue. And people just, they kind of store the fat here. They might be skinny everywhere and it just sits there. Um, that's the only time that cortisol would be a real, real issue like that. Other than that, it's the unsexy calories in, calories out. Monitor what you're having on a consistent basis and keep on training. I think that's part of my 
Age, no, age definitely plays a role, but then it also depends. With age plays a role in the sense that depends what age. And of course, at the end of the day, the answer is always going to come back to the overall calorie consumption and calorie being burned. Um, how much protein being consumed and so on and so forth. But we could also go down the nuances of are you getting adequate sleep? Uh, is your menstruation cycle regular? What is your testosterone and estrogen like? These are all things that can be impacted by age or by birth control. Uh, all of this plays an important role. So does age play a role? Yes, but even for the 53-year-old female, it's still going to come down to how much. I'm not asking, I'm not saying that you're that old. I'm just saying usually after 50, that's like when women have hit menopause and whatever, uh, even though everybody's different. Um, even for the 53-year-old female, it's still a matter of, well, how much are you consuming? And are you making it a point to continue exercising, even though you might not feel like it because your hormones make you feel a certain way? They can affect your energy levels, and that can totally affect your workouts and all that. So very good question. Yes? Cool. Activity factor is an important one. Um, if you have things like, uh, uh, if you know how much lean body mass you have, then that also helps because there are some calculations that are specific with your lean body mass number. Generally speaking, I like the Mifflin St. Yor, which Mifflin St. Yor, it gives you a pretty decent BMR, um, which is your basal metabolic rate. Then from there, you want to factor in, okay, I did the Mifflin St. Yor. Now, let me see how much am I working out. And then you'll multiply whatever your BMR is um, times. Well, I mean, it really depends because if you're, like, I can do an example right now on the board. I don't know Mifflin St. you off the top of my head, but I can look it up really fast so you can see the thought process that goes into here. Uh, <clears throat> now these things also go into like kilogram and uh, centimeters and whatnot. So let's just say for a female, let's go ahead and do 10 times. Kilograms plus six point twenty five times centimeters. Okay. This one, Mifflin Senior. Yeah, this one, and in the. I like Mifflin St. Yor, and this is one that in the registered dietitian community, like for clinical nutrition, if you're in the hospital, 
and there's nothing else, like you're not amputated or whatever it might be, the Mifflin St. George is the good one to calculate BMR. Um, then it's, if someone's bedridden, you're pretty much just using their basal metabolic rate because there's zero, if any, activity. Um, but this is what it looks like. Again, part of my handwriting. 10 times your weight in kilograms plus 6.25 times your height in centimeters minus 5 times your age plus 5. And this is specific to women. Uh, I'm sorry, to men. To women, it's going to be everything the same except instead of plus 5, it's minus 161. <laughs> W women are the reason that we're all here. So thank you all for being you. Uh, we also have more testosterone. So that's another thing. Um, so this is the equation, right? Using kilograms, using centimeters. Now, based on this, you want to factor in your activity factor. If you're someone who workouts, let's say, if you work out, that wasn't a real word. I said workouts. So you're someone who works out. Um, I felt like a, like a rapper. <laughs> Shouts out to my boy. Um, so if you're someone who works out, let's say three to four days a week, you might want to do this times an activity factor. So whatever you get here is going to be your BMR. So let's say equals making up a number 1,562. That's my basal metabolic rate. That's what I'm going to burn just existing based on this calculation times an activity factor. So if I'm sedentary at work, I'm at a desk, I don't move around a whole lot, but I come in here three to four days a week, I'm going to multiply this times, and again, it always depends on the person. So as someone's dietitian, I'm always factoring in a bunch of different things. I'm going to multiply this by, let's say, 1 point, eh, maybe 1.3 to 1.4. If you're coming in here three to four days a week, I'm going to want to multiply that. So then this is going to be my activity factor. Let's say 1.35, just to meet in the middle of the 1.3 to 1.4. Then that's going to give me, let's see, 1562 times 1562 times 1.35. Gives me 2,100, and let's just round up to nine calories. 2,109. That says 2,109. So that's going to be someone's total daily energy expenditure. That means that assuming all of this is accurate, and they said, yeah, you know, I go in the gym and I work out hard, but my work is sedentary. Because now if you're a mailman or a male woman, you're not sedentary. You drive, you get up, you walk up and down the block, whatever. So that, all of that factors in. That's going to be how many calories somebody burns. For this specific individual, 2,109 calories. Then what's the goal? Maintenance. I'm going to make sure I'm staying right around 21 to 2,200 and see how my body responds. Ideally, you would be on a diet that is on as many calories as possible. So when you cut yourself short on calories, so if you're only eating 800 calories, but you can still lose weight eating, I don't know, 1,600 calories, then why the heck not eat more? And it's going to help everything else function better, from hormones to energy and all of that. So it depends on what we want to do. If we want fat loss, 
depends on the individual. Maybe I'll say, okay, let's try cutting back by a couple hundred calories. If we want weight gain, okay, let's try adding in a couple hundred calories and then taking time. Again, not the sexiest answers, but trust the process, be patient as hell, and stay consistent. Also, also depends on the individual, depending on their weight. Because I'll usually start with 1.6 grams per kilogram and then play with the numbers from there, depending on the person, on the goals. If I see someone and I'm like, this person is not going to eat 150 grams of protein, I'm adjusting the numbers, without a doubt. Um, but I usually try to be at around 1.6 grams per kilogram for generally active people. And even sedentary people can benefit from higher protein. Like, it's gonna help with muscle retention and fat loss too. Did I answer your question? Yeah, yeah, I just wanted Which equation? Yeah. Cool, Mifflin and St. George. <laughs> yes. There's wine, cheese, and meats. If anybody wants, feel free to jump on that. Um, I will probably jump on it in a little bit. What was that? No, thank you, though. I'm going to spit even more on everybody's face. Um, yes. Uh, carefully. carefully. Yes, for sure. Like, there. Correct. Twelve hundred became this arbitrary number for women, and I don't know why or where it came from. I don't know if it's a celebrity to blame or a program, but twelve hundred does work for some, but it's not one size fits all. There's a lot of psychology that goes into this, right? So helping people understand that. It's not just going on an 800 calorie diet. It's not just a caloric deficit, but the caloric deficit is necessary, but maybe somebody should be eating 1600 calories and they're at 800. Eventually that's really going to mess with their, what's called NEAT, their non-exercise activity, activity thermogenesis, the calories that you burn from not exercising. So, correct, from eating less. Remember, your food is your fuel. So now if I'm eating much less than I probably should, well, my energy's gonna come down. Uh, Gina just referenced someone named Lane Norton. I highly recommend following him. His Instagram is at BioLane, B-I-O-L-A-Y-N-E. Um, uh, um, so there, he actually made an interesting point one time, and he was talking about when he competed once that his his knee, his non-exercise activity thermogenesis, so that's movement that's not exercise, um, was much slower and less than when he was eating much higher calories. Fidgeting, me moving around like this, all of that. In his case, he even talked about that he would blink slower. So we don't usually think about the association. Like we say, yeah, food is fuel. I get it, but do you really, right? So if you can diet on as many calories as possible, that's the, the goal. To help somebody understand that can be difficult because even with messages that I put on social media saying it's about a caloric deficit, someone can interpret that and say, all right, then I gotta do 800 calories, right? So I try to be as straightforward as with everything that I recommend, but helping people understand like, yeah, you gotta have, be in a caloric deficit, but 
try to do it on as many calories as possible. So there's a lot of psychology that goes into it and helping them understand that it's only going to help them in the long run. Yeah, we but all do. There are people who tell me that, okay, so especially if you're calorie counting, like fat and carbs are fully interchangeable. Yeah. As long as you're like, you know, watching your calorie count and getting enough grams of protein. Correct. Do you think that's accurate? Yes. And I had said it earlier that you mostly is you want to make sure that you're in a caloric deficit, getting adequate protein. And then from there, the carbs and the fat, they are interchangeable. However, it also depends on the individual. What's your activity level like? What is your preference? If you prefer carbs, <laughs> as long as they're boneless, don't put the grease, air fry them, whatever. Um, so I would say, yes, if, you're, if you prefer carbs, then go more towards carbs. But we also got to make sure that you going more towards carbs is not putting you into a caloric surplus where you're over-consuming. I would... I would first start, no, and I didn't. I would first start with, 30%, no, just generally speaking, take a look at 1.6 grams per kilogram. So if somebody weighs, let's say, yeah, let's say someone weighs 60 kilograms, 60 times 1.6 is going to be 96 grams of protein. So I would just start off with that. If I wanted to give you percentages from a, for fat loss, I would say, if anything, go, a simple one would be 40, 30, 30. 40 carbs, 30 fat, and 30 protein. But that's, that's a very general, like, just give, it a, give that a shot. Uh, that's not getting into too much specifics. Um, 1.6 times whatever your weight in kilograms. So I would start off with that. Now, you mo most definitely work out more than the average woman that is your age. So I would say, if anything, you could even err on the side of higher. So 1.8, 2, 2.2, which would be one gram per pound of body weight. So it's a lot of trial and error and seeing what, what works and what doesn't. Next question. No questions. Yes, beautiful. Let's do it. Twins. <laughs> Got it. How can I balance this? And is there a way to balance this? I can't have only one Oreo. I want to use the whole sleeve. So I'm about to go sleeve. Oh, the whole sleeve. The whole sleeve is delicious. So challenge yourself. Okay. Here. And this is more of a philosophical answer. I can give you a somewhat science-based response and say, well, you want to make sure that you're getting adequate water. You want to make sure that you're eating protein throughout the day. Getting your snacks. Make sure that every single snack has some kind of protein in it. Eggs for breakfast, yogurt for snack, chicken for lunch, shake for snack, fish for dinner, right? And that protein throughout the day can help stabilize the cravings and the sugar levels and whatnot. Um, then the real challenge is, well, can I just have one Oreo? And I've challenged myself to this because like I said, I can easily eat 12 Oreos like it's nothing. I put them in a cereal bowl, I put the milk in, I mash it up and I eat it. I, I love Oreos, right? So I said, you know what, Eric? You, every time you eat Oreos, you at least have five Oreos. Can you just have one? I got one. I put it away. I 
grab the sip of milk straight from the gallon, because I'm disgusting like that, and that was it. Correct. Well, so now other things that you could implement is go for a walk. Go and do some exercise. Chug a bunch of water while you go for your walk. Do something to distract the mind. A lot of it does come from this internal battle where it's like, wow, I got to have it. I got to have it. Food addiction is, is if you look at the, the definition of addiction, food addiction is, I don't want to say it's not real. But it's not this addiction where you need to have something. It's just you enjoy eating something. So you want to, I'm sorry? There's theories to that, but I wouldn't. I would say that it's not 100% accurate. It sounds like it makes sense, um, but so does the Earth being flat. That sounds like it makes sense oh too, right? So now, but and again, to like not really continue joking around, um, is there some kind of physiological response? There's a preference to it. People will say that the same triggers go off as cocaine, and that the there's a compound in cheese that is addictive in its property. Well, a lot of, a lot of it's, yeah, it's called cheese, right, or sugar. It just, it tastes good. You combine the sugar and the fat, and it tastes good. A lot of these uh, uh, components don't pass the blood-brain barrier. So there isn't truth to a lot of what's said about the food addiction thing. Now, does a reward center in the brain get triggered? Perhaps, because you genuinely enjoy something. Now, backtracking to when we were children, if you're anything like me, my dad was like, eat everything on your plate, yeah. right? And fin make sure you don't leave the table so you finish everything on your plate. And a lot of us were also told, well, when you finish everything on your plate, you get to have dessert. So now it's like we're programmed from when we're this big to finish everything, even if we don't like it, and then we get rewarded for overeating something that we weren't a big fan of. So now it's kind of like, oh man, it takes me back to when I was a kid, I don't even think about it but I love my Oreos, right? So... The best time? Yes. I would say, if anything, the best time is to do it after a workout. After an intense workout would be the best time. Correct. Have it with a shake. Right? <laughs> Cool, yeah, let's hear him. is very mental, right? Because you could even go to the extent to say, well, let me just get, let me ask them to separate it from me, for me from the get-go, if you're at a restaurant. Have half, take it home, throw it away, give it to somebody, 
and eat the other half while you're there. But it you. comes down to here. I'm sorry? Yeah, then ask them, separate it. Ask for a box immediately, and then separate it from there, you know? Um, a lot of it really is mental. We just don't, we don't commit. We don't say, you know what, that's it. I'm not going to do this, you're not going to do that. And then, of course, you have the habitual side of things, where we're used to doing something a certain way, so we don't stop doing it the way that we're used to. Yeah, very practical. I have to have a lot of tricks because I love chocolate. And those are helpful. Those are very helpful, yeah. So. I would literally eat those whole chocolate. Like, I think so. A while ago, I saw this brand called Halo Top, which is just okay. So it does the job. Does the job. So planning is helpful. Getting the mindset into it is also beneficial too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure, and that's like it's an indulgence that is within within normal limits, right? So, all right, I think I think everyone's attention span is ready to to go. So thank you all for coming. Be on the lookout for the next Eight Nine Academy. Another evenings with Eric to come sometime soon. Thanks for spending your Monday evening with me over here. I appreciate you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.